0: Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking to John Davidson about discipleship trends in the local church. Check it out. Welcome everybody to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. What's going on, man? How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited about our guest today. Yeah, yeah, me too. We've uh, been looking forward to this guest, and uh, we, we've we listened to him a bunch. Yep. And so now we're excited to have him on our podcast. Why don't you uh, do the honors, Dave, and uh, introduce our uh, guest? Yeah, today on uh, the Multiply podcast, we have a
1: friend of mine, John Davidson. Uh, John serves a, in two roles. He serves as the Director of Discovery and Development for the Assemblies of God, and he also serves as the Director of Alliance for Assemblies of God, higher education. So it sounds super important, and uh, we'll figure out in just a moment exactly all that it means. So uh, John's going to be talking with us on today's episode about discipleship in the local church, and he has a unique perspective to share with us some of the trends he's observing and what's really working well. So John, welcome to the Multiply Podcast.
2: Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, It's a lot of fun to be with you guys and really looking forward to the discussion today.
1: We are too. So just take a moment and tell us a little bit about your family and uh, unpack those impressive uh, titles for us. (laughs) (laughs)
2: well yeah you know titles can be impressive but uh, not actually mean a whole lot and uh, it just so happens that the titles that i have always have to explain because nobody really knows what they mean so um half time i don't know what they mean but as the director of discovery and development my role um, centers a lot on development of new resources new relationships new processes specifically with the Church Multiplication Network. So um, a lot of my time is spent with the Church Multiplication Network, which is the AG's um, church planting arm. And so I'm spearheading a lot of new things that are happening there. So I really I kind of serve as one of the, I don't know, I guess you could call it resource and de- uh, research and development guys on the team. So anything new we're developing, I'm kind of on the leading edge of that. So, um, you know, just like uh, earlier this week, I convened a group of people to to talk about development of a resource for pastors who want to multiply their church but don't know where to start. So we're always developing new things like that. So that's kind of what I do as a as the Dis- Director of Discovery and Development. And then in my role with the Alliance for Higher Education, I serve as kind of the point person from the Assemblies of God National Office that connects with and helps to serve all of our Assemblies of God college and university presidents. Um, and, and really uh, can go even farther you know, down into the administrative teams and faculty and staff and whatnot, but I, I relate mostly with college university presidents, seminary presidents, um, helping to ensure that uh, the, the education that we have that we're offering through our Assemblies of God institutions is uh, high quality and, uh, and that our students in the Assemblies of God have access to our schools. So that's a little bit about what I do. My family, uh, I have an awesome wife Lynette. we've been married for uh, 20 years uh, this year coming up in just a few months. And then I have a daughter that's 14 and a son that's just almost 12. So, uh, life is fun. Summer is fun right now with a lot of, uh, summer fun kid activities, go to the pool and the lake and whatnot. So we're having a lot of fun.
0: Well, those of us who, uh, kids are still in school. We're a little jealous right now. We hate you a little bit, but we're thankful for that <laughs> introduction, and uh, it's uh, great to have you on, man. Um, today we're talking about some discipleship trends that you've seen working, and uh, before we dive into that, it'd be helpful probably, how do you define discipleship?
2: Man, discipleship is such a fun word to uh, define and describe, so I find myself in a lot of conversations where people are asking, what does it mean? And and uh, I also find myself from time to time embroiled in these uh, Facebook comment threads, you know, where people are debating about how to define things. <laughs> and and, very, uh, very fruitful so, and
1: productive, I'm sure.
2: Yes, always, always. And uh, there was one just the other day where guys were trying to define discipleship, and it was it was so humorous to me to sit back and watch it play out because of all the definitions. And I, I was really enjoying uh, just seeing how everybody else uh, frames discipleship. But for me, there's probably a couple of of um, statements that I use to frame what discipleship is and what it means. Uh, I'm a fan of Dallas Willard. Um, his, I love his writings and uh, just his thought over the years on, on discipleship, spiritual disciplines, and just the living of the Christian life. And, and Dallas Willard has a, a definition of disciple that I like. And his definition of disciple is someone whose ultimate goal is to live the way Jesus would if he was in your place. That's a very simple definition, but I I think it's effective. And so I've kind of transitioned that into a definition of discipleship. And I kind of say it this way that discipleship is the process and relationships that move people toward the ultimate goal of living the way Jesus would if he was in their place. And uh, so process and relationships that really move people toward Jesus. Um, Another way that I've defined it over the years, and, and I say another way here, it's not a, an opposing way. It's just a different way because I think there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different angles to look at discipleship. Um, one of the ways that I've looked at it is that discipleship is the process of removing barriers that prevent people from becoming as Christlike as God intends for them to be. So um, in a lot of ways, I think that my work over the years with individuals, especially individuals who are new to the faith, has been— uh, I have served as kind of that guy that helps them remove the barriers that makes it easier for them to understand what it means to follow Christ, and uh, to to make it be a situation where they feel like following Christ is doable in their in their life in their situation. And then on top of that, on top of those definitions, I would add that one of the verses that kind of guides my thinking from uh, the the letters of Paul is Galatians 4.19, where Paul's writing to Galatians, and he, and he says, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And uh, for me, that's kind of a guiding, overriding verse that really just defines for me how difficult and painful the process of discipleship is. That it's a, it's not an easy process. It's It can be painful. It can be time-consuming. Anybody who's been around anyone who has given birth or... <laughs> Or is pregnant understands you know even though uh, the three of us on this phone call have never given birth before, but um, I feel like we, we could we, under-
0: we understand though. Right. Like, yeah, and in yeah. a lot of ways, let's be
2: honest, it's kind of harder on the guy than it is. Right. No, I, I've I've tried to use that excuse to my wife; it doesn't work. So well, they're laying
1: um, they're laying down. We're standing up. I mean, that's
0: just one example. <laughs> right. Just we exactly. just lost every female listener. <laughs> we have.
2: No, anybody who's been around it understands. You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out childbirth is painful, and so it's interesting to me that Paul puts this um, growing in Christ likeness, this process of discipleship. He puts it in the terms of childbirth. And says, you know, I, 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 as a, as a spiritual father, spiritual mother, am in the pains of childbirth, as Christ is formed in you, as you're growing your relationship with the Lord. It's actually painful for me to walk with you through the process. And so, I think it's good for us to remember that this isn't an easy process at all, and it's not easy to define.
1: And that's that's really helpful, John. Um... One of the words that you used in both of your definitions was the word process. And I just want to kind of focus on that for a second. And I think everybody nods their head. Discipleship's not a one-time thing. We're not talking about justification, which is an act. We're talking about sanctification, discipleship, which is an ongoing process. But I do think that we are in a sort of quick result society, Um like microwave spirituality, um, and easy answers and things that we can do. And I just actually was listening to a, another podcast called finding mastery where Dr. Michael Gervais interviews different people who are the best in the world or, or near the best at certain things, whether it's, um, sports or film or whatever. And he was doing an interview with a guy named Bob Bowman. I don't know if you know that name, but he's Michael Phelps swimming coach. Everybody knows okay. that name. And, um, He was talking about really his sort of mantra as a leader is to value the process over the outcome. And uh, we talk a lot about discipleship outcomes, and ultimately they matter. We need to have clarity on them, and maybe we'll talk about that. But can you drill in a little more on that idea of the significance of understanding discipleship as a process and having some focus, clarity, and alignment around what that process might look like in your context?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, that's a great question, David. Uh, you know, you're right that this issue of process is really, really important. And, you know, we talk a lot of times in spiritual language about the journey of following Christ, and we probably all preach some kind of message or taught some kind of lesson about how it's not about the destination as much as it is the journey. And I think that's a lot of the process of discipleship. And here's how I feel about it. Um, there's There are a lot of people out there who are maybe lifelong believers? They they gave their their life to Christ at an early age. Um, they've been living for Christ, but you know the the general trajectory of their life is stagnant. Uh, they're not really doing a whole lot to move toward Christ to grow in intimacy and relationship with Christ. I think it's a really sad situation. And and on the other hand. There are a lot of people who are brand new in their relationship with Christ, but that they, they're aggressively pursuing Christ. They're The trajectory of their life is moving in the direction. it's It's a Godward direction. And you know, for me, I love everybody, but give me somebody like that any day of the week over the person who's stagnant. and um, because a person who maybe they 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 know almost nothing about Christ. They know almost nothing about the gospel of the Christian life. But they're aggressively pursuing Christ, that's an exciting, that's an exciting process to be a part of. And um, so I guess I say all that to say that this is why the process is so important, because for the person who's maybe very young in their relationship with Christ, uh, they don't know a lot about what it means to be a Christian, they don't know a lot about what it means to be a part of a church or whatever, um, but they their the general orientation or trajectory of their life is moving in the direction. Of intimacy with Christ, that person is on a great journey. They're they're in the midst of a process that's going to take them ultimately uh, into a, a space where they're going to become a Christ like person. Now it may take years and years and years, and it does for all of us. <clears throat> and of course, process of sanctification is never done. You know, we, we've never totally arrived. But I love walking the process with people like that because it's an exciting journey, and uh, every day is a new discovery. So. I think one of the problems that we have encountered as Christians and as church leaders over the years is that we have made the process of discipleship, I'll say it this way, we have made discipleship an event or a series of events, but not really a cohesive process. So it's one of the things that I'm really passionate about. It's one of the reasons why I talk to a lot of pastors uh, everywhere I go now about the importance of creating Uh, What I refer to and a lot of people refer to now as a discipleship pathway, a process for people to follow so that they can be growing in intimacy and relationship with Christ, growing in their knowledge of Christ, growing in their knowledge of Scripture. Um, And, you know, how quickly people are moving down that road isn't nearly as important to me as the fact that they are in a process and uh, that they're moving in the direction of Christ. So I think the process is really, really important, and one of the reasons people fall through the cracks more often than not in our churches is that we don't have a well-defined, clear process for people to follow. And uh, you know, I I don't know about you guys, but I get so frustrated every time I'm a part of a process that that's not clear. Um, I mean, it can be if I'm going to the uh, for me the, the DMV is one of the worst places. You know, if you're going to get your get new tags for your car or you're going to get a new driver's license or whatever you go there the signage is bad a lot of times uh you wait in a line for an hour with all of your paperwork you get up to the window only to find what that you're missing some kind of paperwork that they need and uh, it's not paperwork that you can just readily produce you gotta go get back in your car and go somewhere else and then come back and stand in line again and so when i'm a part of processes that aren't clear that are inefficient it's frustrating and i think that people get frustrated when they come to church and they give their life to Christ or they, they want to move toward Christ and we don't have a clear process for them to follow. And a lot of times it's really sad guys, but we as church leaders, a lot of times when people come to Christ in our churches, we're we're like as surprised as anybody else. We're like surprised that people came to Christ and now we're trying to scramble to figure out what do we do with these people? And um, I, I think that when people are, are desperate, and they come to their church, they come to their pastor, they come to a, a Christian leader or spiritual leader, they expect us to know the next steps that they should take to move in the direction of of, a Christ-like, of being Christ-like and move in the direction of Christ. And so when we don't have a process for them to follow and uh, the appropriate relationships to, to assist them and facilitate uh, their journey, um, it, it gets really frustrating. And that's why I think we we lose a lot of people because they see that there's no process that's well-articulated, yeah. and they bail.
0: That's so good, John. I'm wondering, in your experience of dealing with a lot of different healthy leaders and healthy churches and this need for a discipleship strategy, you mentioned clarity as one of the important factors. What are some other uh, important factors that you see churches that are doing this well all have in common?
2: Yeah, I, I think one of the other major factors in addition to clarity is uh, uh, strategy. So... <clears throat> A lot of churches just haven't been strategic with discipleship. they They haven't understood how to really uh, nail down the components of the process. So so let me break this down. So many churches disciple people by accident because they haven't thought through their plan for moving people toward Christ. So I think every church has its own individual, um, context, its own ministry context, and every church has to decide how they're going to do it. And you know what? No pathway is perfect. No discipleship strategy is perfect. Um, but I would say in the area of discipleship, first of all, first of all something is better than nothing. The churches have to be able to to have some kind of plan for discipleship. And then I, I think for somebody who's pastoring an existing church, they have to look at what are the What are the current discipleship pathway components that can help people come to Christ? So now this isn't the case when you're starting a new church, you're starting something from scratch because you can create it exactly like you want it. But most people are in churches that have existing discipleship components. You know, they have men's ministry or women's ministry or they have ministry to kids or they have you know certain outreach programs and events. And so one of the very first things that I think churches should do is really strategically evaluate their current discipleship pathway components. Because you're, the fact is, you're not starting from scratch. Uh, there's something already there that exists. And some of those things might be really, really good. And so you don't want to mess with them, or maybe you just need to tweak them a little bit. But to be honest, you know, it's so easy as churches to start doing things that that don't work or to continue doing things that have outlived their usefulness. And so I think getting really strategic about evaluating all of our discipleship pathway components would do churches a whole lot of good. Honestly, their current discipleship pathway may require some deconstruction before a new pathway can be created. And, but, but that's a huge advantage for churches that have some existing pathway components because you're not starting from scratch. Another thing that I think that churches have to think through are what are their on-ramps for discipleship? So how is it that people in your community? uh, both, you know, in, in your broader community outside your church and in your community of faith, how is it that people are starting their discipleship journey? You know, so one of the things that we all understand is we do altar calls, right? So we, you know, you can do an altar call during a service, uh, some kind of an, uh, appeal or invitation to ask people to start the process of discipleship or give their life to Christ or however you, you phrase that, uh, that is one on-ramp. But, um, It's really important, I think, for churches to have multiple on-ramps to discipleship. So one of the things that really um, discourages me is if a church is in a context or they have a ministry philosophy where they don't do um, altar invitations or salvation invitations uh, and and they haven't discovered any other on-ramps in the discipleship, that's a big problem. So it's not a mystery why sometimes churches don't have a lot of people being discipled. Because there's no clear on ramps. So, um, you know, community outreach events can be on ramps. If you have a recovery class, uh, you know, some churches will do like a divorce recovery or a a grief uh, related class or um, financial peace university class or whatever. Each of those can actually be on ramps to your discipleship pathway, but it has to be clearly articulated or people won't, they won't know that that is an on ramp. Uh, they might just take your uh, divorce care class and quit. Whereas, if you if you have that as a component, of it's really an on ramp for you. You're able to tell people, hey, now that you're in the divorce care class and we're ministering to your needs, you're learning more about yourself, your need for God, your need for community. Here's the next step in our ministries that you can take. Here's the next part of the process where you can continue to grow in your relationship with Christ. Again, if we don't if we don't help people understand that, they won't know what to do next. So those those are some of the issues that I would say churches really need to think through.
1: So John, if as a local pastor I'm assessing um, the existing programs, you know, everyone ha- I think everyone, whether it's written down, defined, and any good or not, everyone has some sort of a functional strategy in place. Um, and so I'm looking at these existing programs and they have a function to them. and I'm trying to assess, are these things that I need to we need to stop doing? are these things that can be repurposed? Um, are these things uh, uh, doing great? Like what are some of the important questions um, I need to be asking as you know talking to my leadership team, what are some of the key filters to just assess the value of an existing program as we think about a discipleship pathway?
2: Yeah, man, I, I think first of all, uh, asking, uh, going through and doing a, uh, I guess you could call it a discipleship program audit maybe or something like that, but really auditing every single piece, you know, ha- maybe having your, your staff team, your volunteer team, whoever you have at your disposal to list out every single component that you offer, every, every class, every ministry that is a part of your discipleship process and then really do an audit of every single area, just like you would do a financial audit, where you're asking the question, hey, uh, you know, we have money coming in, we have money going out. Well, what's happening to that money while it's here? How is it being used? How is it being stewarded and spent? We need to ask all the same questions about our discipleship components and classes and, and offerings. And uh, so I think some of the things that churches need to ask in a general way as they're evaluating these things is – Um, what is the culture of our church and our community? So are the things that we're offering in discipleship fitting the culture of our community? Oftentimes the ministries that we offer in our church are really a, a, they're a holdover from something that was started a generation ago. Um, and, And it may have way outlived its usefulness. So we have to ask, does it, does what we're offering even really fit our community? Does it fill a need? You know, guys, sometimes we find ourselves offering programs from our churches or, or processes, and we have trouble filling them with people. So we offer a class, and we can't for the life of us get people to come. And then we ask the question, what's wrong with people? You know, what, what's the deal? Why won't people be involved in our discipleship process? And I think a lot of times we're offering things that people don't need, or they don't realize they need, or we're offering in a way that doesn't fit our community. So one of the questions that I've asked over the years is, um, what is the learning culture like in my church and my community? Are the people in my church and community used to sitting in a classroom to learn? Because if they're not, and I'm I'm developing discipleship classes that are led by a talking head, and then I can't figure out why people won't come. Well, it's really, it's not rocket science. It's pretty obvious. So there are some communities that have a bent toward classroom style education and some don't. We need to be evaluating that. Um, In some cases, uh, we try to, you might look at your existing processes that are trying to leverage technology. So um, in, in a church where I was on the team, we were trying to leverage a new piece of technology. We actually paid quite a bit of money for it. And it was really, it was for discipleship. And we thought, man, this is going to be incredible. We're going to spend all this money, but it's going to be able to uh, to give us a way to deliver discipleship curriculum directly into people's homes, on-time delivery, on their mobile devices. It's going to be awesome. And then, you know what we found out afterwards? People weren't using it. We couldn't figure out why. We were promoting it from the stage. We were you know trying every way to get people we were trying to incentivize people to use it they still weren't using it i was getting frustrated i was mad cuz we were wasting money on it and and really i was frustrated with the people because i thought and these people just don't want to grow and you know what i what i came to understand guys was that the people that in the community i was in weren't nearly as high tech as i was and uh, and i'm not that high tech but i was just in a community where you know, yes, people had mobile phones. Yes, they used apps for a th- few things. But these, these, by and large, were not people who had jobs where they lived and worked every day on their computers like I did. And so, I, what I really discovered is I was trying to force something on them—a process, a program—that really didn't fit them. So. Um, You know, I I think some of those kinds of things are questions that we have to ask to evaluate is what we're doing working and does it even fit? You know, hey, there's everybody and their brother has tried small groups, uh, home based small groups. Well, guess what? There are some communities and some parts of our country where home based small groups won't work because people don't like going to each other's homes. Um, And sometimes we find ourselves continuing to use systems like that or programs like that when the reality is it's just not working. So I think those are some of the questions we have to
0: ask. That's good. I I like that idea of um, being in tune with uh, the culture of who you're trying to reach and not try to uh, steal or uh, take another program that worked for somebody else and implement it without understanding your audience. Um, We're running out of time here. So in one minute or less, um, I'd love to hear what are a a couple of outcomes that uh, pastors or leaders should expect from someone who is— um, an example of someone who's gone through this discipleship process. So what are some things that a disciple looks like um, th- so that we can know, hey, we, we've been successful here. Are there a couple bullet points, John, for you that you're like, this is what it would look like?
2: Yeah, guys, I think there are some definite outcomes. And, you know, a lot of pe- people have tried to to uh, really land on and create some of these uh, and I'm what what I'm going to tell you is not something that's original to me. I'm sure, uh, but I think there's 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 a handful of them. Uh, number one, I think we have to help people to passionately love the Word of God, and an outcome for me would be somebody who's growing in their love for the Word of God and their understanding of the Word of God. I think we live in a day and age where people are, for the most part, biblically illiterate, and I think a lot of that has to do with um, just our lack of emphasis on God's word and and helping people take ownership of God's word. And so um, I, I think an outcome is helping people really love the word of God. Uh, another one is, is helping people walk in obedience to God's word and to the voice of the spirit in their life. Um, as people are becoming more and more like Christ, they ought to be more and more obedient. And uh, unfortunately, uh, sometimes even those of us who have followed Christ a long time, Uh, oftentimes aren't the best example of this because we don't always walk in obedience. Um, Another thing is that an outcome of discipleship ought to be people who are committed to the family of God and to the people of God and people who are involved in church. And I'm not saying that, uh, church attendance, uh, always determines how good of a disciple somebody is. Uh, but I do think that people who are growing in their relationship with God ought to be people who enjoy being around the people of God. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've got some friends who developed a, a great discipleship assessment and, uh, you know, I, I think you have like 40 outcomes of what it means to be a disciple or something like that. And, and maybe that's a whole discussion for another day, but I think, the last thing I would add is people who understand uh, how to manage their relationships in a healthy way. So uh, people who are growing in their relationship with God ought to be growing in their ability to have healthy relationships with their spouse, with their kids, uh, and with the people they work with, with the people around them. So I think you know it's up to each individual church to figure out how are we going to measure those things. But those are some of the outcomes I think that we ought to be aiming for with discipleship.
1: Thanks so much, John. That's excellent. Uh, we'd like to finish uh, this episode with our um, little section called David's Eats, and um, we'd like to ask our guest, uh, what is the best thing you've eaten recently?
2: Oh, man. Well, that that is a really great, great question, guys. Um, I, you know, I travel a lot for work and uh, get to eat at a a lot of really, really great places. So this is a tough one for me, but uh, to answer your question today, I'm going to actually stay local. Okay. So I live in Springfield, Missouri, and there is a place uh, not too far from where I work called Doe's Eat Place. And uh, Doe's Eat Place is a, they've got a really interesting combination of food. Their specialty are steaks and tamales. And so um, it's, a, it's a combination you don't find in a lot of places but does eat place their steaks and, and tamales are awesome their steaks are like two inches thick and they are they are amazing so that's the, that's the best thing i've had to eat lately
1: that sounds mm, glorious i'm a little hungry Hey, John, thanks for being with us. And uh, if you guys want to catch John, he actually uh, helps host another podcast called The Influence Podcast and uh, does a lot of interviews with church leaders and other leaders around the country on there. And uh, that's another way that you can connect with John. John, thanks so much for being with us today on The Multiply Podcast.
2: Yeah, absolutely, guys. It was great to be with you.
0: Thanks, everybody. This is The Multiply Podcast. We will catch you next time.